Okay, so uh, for the next six weeks, we're going to start a series uh, going through the book of Philippians, just tiptoeing through um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, chapter. We'll get through the whole four chapters in about six weeks. And I just love the book of Philippians. I find it so encouraging. There is so much gold in there that is just like super duper helpful for us in this life. So a um, few things about the book of Philippians before we start a bit of an overview. Uh, Philippian, uh, Philippians is a letter written by Paul uh, to the church in the city of Philippi, which was in the region of Macedonia in Greece. And, and even though Philippi was a city in Greece, it was still considered a Roman colony and therefore it operated under Roman law and order. Uh, it's considered a prison letter uh, in that, uh, along with Ephesians and Colossians in the book of Philemon, uh, it was written while Paul was imprisoned, uh, likely in Rome. It's, uh, it's not heavily theological, as, say, Ephesians is or Romans is. Uh, it's more geared towards, you know, really practical Christian living. Uh, there are very little, um, if any, rebukes in this letter at all. It's very positive and encouraging and uplifting in, in its tone. In, in fact, uh, the main theme that you could get through the book of Philippians is this theme of joy. And, and so that's, you know, I think it's over 16 times in various forms, Paul is, is using this theme of joy, this word of joy or rejoicing um, to encourage this church in Philippi. And so, so that, that's sort of why we've, we've given this series title, uh, A Joyful Community. A joyful community. A couple of significant verses that we see in the book of Philippians that people might know. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 1, verse 21, another popular one, uh, which is, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, chapter 1, verse 27 says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 5, another popular one, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 3, verse 14, it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And, and 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. So today, we're going to just start in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, I think that's the, the best place to start. If you're going to study through a book, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, and before we start, I, I'm going to title this message, this portion of the series, uh, A Joyful Community Unites Around the Power of the Gospel. A Joyful Community Unites Around the Power of the Gospel. So let's jump in right now to uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Philippi. Let's stop right there. I know we're only halfway through verse 1, but let, let's just stop there, pull on the handbrake, and let's see what's going on here. It says here, to all the saints who are at Philippi. Well, who are these saints? Who are the saints? Who are the Christians? Who are the Jesus followers? Who is this church in Philippi? Do, do you know? Like... Literally, do you know who they are? Who are these people? Um, 
We can think that, that this church is just a bunch of random, faceless, nameless people that just so happen to exist in a particular period of history uh, that Paul was writing to at that, that, that moment in time. But this is what I love about the Bible, is when you scratch beneath the surface from just a superficial reading of the text and see the, 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 the unfolding of history that is there amongst the, the Scriptures, you see such a, a rich tapestry of truth and, and a story being told that in this instance, the church in Philippi are not just random people that Paul's writing to as a church. We can see that these people are actually so dear to Paul that Paul absolutely loves these guys. And when, when we understand, I'll unpack that in, in just a moment, but when, when we see this unfold through Scripture, what we realize is that the Bible is not just a mashup of 66 unrelated books that are just jammed together with a cover and called the Bible, but there is this beautiful story. The story of God, the story of redemption, the story of Jesus' love that flows through every part of the Bible to, to show us the heart of the Father as He draws us into relationship with Him. It is absolutely incredible. So back to my point, back to my question, who are the saints in Philippi? Well, in order to discover that, we're going to have to flip back a few books to the book of Acts. So we're now in Philippians. If we skip back five or so books, we'll find ourselves in the book of Acts. The full name of this book is the Acts of the Apostles. That when Jesus ascended after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. You read about this in Acts chapter 2. And then it empowered the disciples, it empowered the apostles to start the church that we are now a part of today, 2,000 years later. And the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ advanced through all the land. And so what we see in Acts chapter 16 is essentially the birth of the Philippian church. So in verse 9 and 10, in Acts chapter 16, Paul has a vivid dream. In his dream, he sees this man from Macedonia. Paul had never been to Europe at this stage. He'd never been to Greece. Uh, he, never, he never crossed those shores. But, but he had this dream of this guy from Macedonia saying, please come and help me. Come and we need your help. And so Paul um, woke up the next morning and was like, okay, that dream must have been a vision from God. So he and Silas jump on a boat and they sail to Greece. They sail to Macedonia to, to be on mission to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so at, in verse uh, 11 and 12, we see that they do that. They, they respond to this dream, even though it seems crazy, even though it seems illogical. Paul responds to that dream with faith and steps out and sails over to Macedonia. In verse 13 to 15, Paul, after he arrives in Macedonia, Philippi is the first place uh, where he goes. And he meets this lady called Lydia. Now, Lydia is a worshipper of God, therefore she is likely a Jew. Uh, grown up with Jewish culture, has Jewish beliefs, so she believes in God. Um, but there's, there's no synagogue in the city because there weren't enough Jews to warrant a synagogue. In, in, in order for a synagogue to be planted, a Jewish church, a Jewish tabernacle in the city, there needed to be a minimum of 10 families to justify the establishing of a synagogue. But because there was no synagogue, Lydia and a bunch of her friends were having a Bible study by the river with a handful of the other Jews that would live in Philippi, this Roman uh, jurisdiction in, in Greece. 
And, um, and so, so again, to Christianity or Judaism was, was not um, considered favorable in the eyes of the Romans. And so the handful of Jews that were in Philippi uh, were sort of, I guess, pushed out to the outer uh, realms to go outside the city gates, down by the river, have your Bible study there, have your prayer meeting there, that's fine. And so this is where Paul finds Lydia, having this Bible study by the river. Now, Lydia is wealthy, like, like legit, really wealthy. Um, she, she essentially is the CEO of a fashion empire, like super legit wealthy. Paul shares the gospel with her. So she's there, a Jew, a follower of God, having her own Bible study. But Paul comes along and, 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 and knocks it up a few notches by bringing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the Lord opens her heart and then her and her whole household were baptized that day. She then put Saul, uh, uh, Paul and Silas up uh, at her place and took care of their needs while they're in Philippi. So basically she's like, man, I am so thankful that you have uh, enlightened me and led me to faith in Jesus. I want to share the incredible wealth I have by supporting you. Come and stay in my, my house. I'm sure it was palatial. She, she put on the spread. She, she made sure that while they were in town, they wanted for nothing. So she really looked after them. And so then... Uh, 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 they move on and in verse 16 and, uh, to 20 of Acts 16. Uh, Paul meets a slave girl. Um, this girl was demon possessed and part of her possession give, gave her this supernatural power to tell people's fortunes. Um, she'd been taken advantage of by slave owners who had uh, basically taken her from her home and are using her as a commodity to monetize her because of her demon possession. It was, it was crazy. Um, so the girl, uh, because she has this, this demon spirit in her, she can, there's a, a, a agitation in the spirit realm between Paul and Silas who are going around Philippi spreading the gospel and, and the demon inside of her. And so she follows them around town and, um, and, and basically proclaiming where they are. Oh, these are men of God. These guys come in the name of Jesus. And, and basically she gets quite annoying. Um, to Paul and to Silas. So, so Paul gets so frustrated by this girl that he rebukes the demon. He, 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 he performs an, essentially an exorcism on this girl and, and casts the demon out of her that is controlling her. This means then, now this demon has fled in Jesus' name. She has been dramatically set free by the supernatural power of the Spirit of God and therefore has lost her fortune-telling abilities that came by the uh, dwelling of the, the, the demon inside of her. This makes her owners furious because now she no longer has the ability to make them money. So the owners make an official complaint and Paul and Silas are brought before the magistrates who find them guilty of being a public nuisance and disturbing the city. They are stripped in the streets, naked, beaten, and then thrown into prison. Treated absolutely abhorrently. Naked, beaten, now imprisoned. And then we jump down to verse 25 to 35 of, of Acts 16. And what we see here, many of us might be familiar with this particular story, is um, at midnight that night, after the day they've had, ministering the gospel, casting out demons and, and leading people to faith in Jesus and then getting beaten and battered and bruised and imprisoned, at midnight that night, Paul and Silas were worshipping God. 
And a great earthquake hit the foundations of the prison and the whole place shook. The doors flung open and the prisoner's shackles were unfastened. Now the jailer awoke and seeing the doors of the prison open and seeing the prisoners free from their shackles, he drew his sword and was prepared to kill himself. Now, because the the Roman Empire was so strict and was so um, meticulously run, you could imagine that the fate of this jailer would not have been good if, uh, if his governing authorities had have found out that he, under his watch, had let prisoners escape from the jail. So it would be far better and a far easier uh, exit strategy to just kill himself with a sword than to go through the punishment that would come to him from his bosses above the line, up the line. And, and Paul reaches out to this jailer and says, hey, stop, 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 stop. Don't do it. Don't kill yourself. We are all still here. We're not going to escape. Even though we could have, even though we could have just ducked out through the doors, we're all here. We're not going to escape. And, and what is the jailer's response? The jailer says to Paul, well, man, what must I do to be saved? Paul says that he must believe in Jesus. And he does so. And then him and his whole household uh, baptized and saved and then we continue down into verse 36 to 39 the magistrates released paul and silas and apologized to them because they were roman citizens and should never have been treated the way they were without a fair roman trial and i guess they had egg on their face and like oh look we're gonna let you go and and um hey why don't we just why don't we just keep this between you and i let's not let let word of this get out because you know we kind of treated you in a way that was not in accordance to our system and processes and as roman citizens you guys should have been treated far uh more fairly and we shouldn't have beaten you and we probably shouldn't have put you in jail you should have had a fair trial that you're entitled to so let's just uh let's call it even we'll let you free and we'll call it even and so uh, Paul and Silas are let free from the prison. So here we see Paul arrives in Philippi. He meets Lydia, the wealthy CEO, leads her to faith in Jesus. He, he, he sees the slave girl and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit sets her free from the demons so that she can have faith in Jesus. He's put in prison as a result And he leads the jailer to faith in Jesus and him and his whole household are baptized. So so here's a question. What does Lydia, what does the slave girl, and what do the jailer have in common? These three people. What do they have in common? Well, I, I would argue nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. And this is because what we see here I guess the the, the commonality is, is this point now, which is that it's the power of the gospel at work that unites people together. See, the power of the gospel can reach someone who is incredibly wealthy with a sharp mind for business. And through their intellect and reason, the gospel can lead them to salvation. And that's what we see with Paul and Lydia, that she is a wealthy, uh, high-functioning, high-thinking, entrepreneurial, spirited person that, that, that God met in her intellect and in her reason through theological discussions with Paul. And through those discussions, through her mind, through her understanding, through her wit, Paul was able to lead her to saving faith in Jesus. 
And the gospel can reach someone who is enslaved, someone with no real hope for the future. And through the, through the power of the Spirit's work, it's able to bring them true freedom. And that's what we see with the slave girl. That it wasn't through intellect like it was through Lydia, but it was through the power of the Holy Spirit setting her free from her bondage and from her slavery into the fullness of freedom that Jesus has for all of us on the other side of our responding to the gospel. And the gospel can reach someone who is just a hard-working, blue-collared public servant who just goes about their job, you know, just a typical hard-working person like you or I, and the gospel can reach them, as we see in this instance, through the power of example. Paul showed the gospel to the jailer, not necessarily by words or by power, as we see with Lydia and the slave girl, but by his Christian example, by living a life of integrity, that it wasn't just about the words that he spoke, it was about the life that he lived. He could have escaped. And he... And some might argue he should have escaped. And the jailer probably most certainly would have thought so. Man, after the day he had, being stripped naked in a public square, beaten within an inch of his life, and then put in jail, and then given the opportunity to escape, who wouldn't want to escape? But he doesn't. He lets the system do its course, run its course. He trusts in God. In fact, the jailer sees him not trying to escape, but worshipping God. Singing praise and, and worship songs, giving glory to God in the darkest of times. And it's the example that the jailer sees in Paul where his faith is activated through his life, through his integrity, that leads him to faith in Christ and Jesus. So when we go back to verse chapter 1, verse 1, to the saints who are in Philippi, these are the saints who are in Philippi. It's Lydia. It's the slave girl. It's the jailer. These are the people that started the church. The very first church that Paul would ever plant is this church in Philippi. And what do we learn from this? We learn from this that this is the hope that we have, right? That, that the gospel, the power, the nature, the work of Jesus Christ, it meets us where we're at. And I look around the room today, it's so many different people from so many different stages of life, uh, of life so, so many different um, levels of education, uh, different areas of, of wealth and influence and, and employment and, um, and all that. This just like the diversity within this room alone is incredible. And ordinarily, we might never would probably associate together. We'd all probably just go to our normal corners of society and, and interact with people like us, people from work, people who have our same hobbies. Uh, so, so, so ordinarily, we would never be together. So what unites us? Why are we all here together on a Sunday morning? Why do we get along? Why do we love one another? Why do we serve one another? It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of the gospel that unites us. And from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, walks of life, experiences, we have all in various forms been transformed by the power of Jesus at work in us that now brings us in our diversity together into Christian unity. And this is what we see in the church at Philippi. So this is the most, this is some of the most encouraging stuff that I... I, I I find in Scripture that, that God meets you where you are at. God met Lydia where she was at. 
in her intellect, with her smarts, with her ability to understand things. And the gospel transformed her. The gospel met Lydia where she was at. She was enslaved. She was uh, overtaken by, by a demon and, and, and enslaved to, to wicked people who were corrupt. And the Holy Spirit in power ministered to her and set her free dramatically. And the jailer, God met him where he was at in his workplace by an example of a fellow of a Christian who was showing what Christianity looked like in real time, in real life. It wasn't just theory. It wasn't just a manifestation of power. It was an example of integrity and Christian lifestyle and behavior that led the jailer to faith in Jesus Christ. So we don't have to do anything. God meets us where we are at. And when he meets us, we have a chance to respond to him and allow the gospel to transform us. And so my first, made, my first point for all of this is, this is why we assembled here today. We are assembled here today because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in our lives that has united us together as one church family. And the second point I would say is we now have hope for the ones that we love, the ones that we want God to reach, to know that just like God reached us where we are at, God will meet others where they are at. And we might have people in our lives who are like Lydia, that are super intelligent, have are super wealthy, and we might think, man, God could never reach them because they've got everything they ever need. Why would they possibly need God? Well, we see in Lydia that God can still meet those people in the midst of their wealth, in the midst of their intelligence, in the midst of uh, their, their ability to, to see life at a different level than most people. The gospel can still meet them where they are at. So if you're believing for someone, who, who, who is entrepreneurial, who might be really wealthy, who might be really, seems like they're above uh, the Christian faith, please know that they are not and that the gospel will meet them where they are at. Continue to pray for them. Continue to ask God to, to bring people and, and situations around their life where they are ministered to at their level or, or where God can, can speak to them. Or you might have people in your life that, that seem enslaved, that seem trapped and, and, and might be like that slave girl that are just absolutely downtrodden, uh, overwhelmed by life and really um, living at the, the, the bottom of the barrel and life is really tough. Well, let's take hope from this story that like the slave girl, the power of the Holy Spirit can come in and absolutely supernaturally transform uh, people's lives where, where they encounter the presence and power of God in such a profound way that it breaks every chain and shackle off their feet to set them free into the fullness of what God has for them. Or maybe, like most of us, we live next door to people that are just, you know, really knock about people that just work the nine to five and you know they just you know they've got the, the the ute in the driveway they've got their boat for fishing on sunday the golf clubs are in the garage and and they just live the the, the normal life working pretty hard um you know they're just doing the thing and 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 we might go well look they're doing pretty well like they're not super wealthy but they're also not you know downtrodden and overwhelmed by life how would god meet them god will meet them by our example in our life of being a person of integrity, of not just talking about the gospel, but demonstrating the gospel through our example, through our Christian lifestyle, by, by backing up what we say about God by how we live our life. And like Paul with the jailer, could have escaped, could have done things, and he would have been justified, but he actually showed integrity and character. And that integrity and that character pointed the jailer to Jesus. 
And so like you and I, we have an opportunity through our lifestyle to point people to Jesus. And so let me encourage you that we're not called to be perfect people. We're just called to follow Jesus. And we stumble forward, we make mistakes, but that is the power of the gospel at work in us. That, that it's not about us and our perfection, it's about us and our progression to step forward, even though we might fail, and just trust in God. And we can show people what humility looks like when we make mistakes. We can show people what forgiveness looks like when people upset us or we do the wrong thing and, and, and things like that. So, so all this to say, I know we've only got through literally half of one verse uh, in this particular message, but... Uh, it's super, super exciting what we see here. And this is, again, why I love the Bible so much, because when we just read it at a, a cursory glance, we can miss so much of the beauty and the depth that actually is in the Bible, where when we see in Philippians 1, verse 1, to the saints who are in Philippi, we might read over that and go, okay, that's really nice. That's a filler verse. Let me get to the meat that's more helpful. But hold on a minute. When we stop, and we scratch beneath the surface, we do a bit of extra study or whatever, we can see that those saints are revealed to us in Acts chapter 16 as Lydia, as the slave girl, and as the jailer, and the three people that would be the first people to plant Paul's first ever church, which is why we can see now that the theme for the book of Philippians is that of joy, because Paul absolutely loves this church. It's his first baby, first ministry baby, and he's checking in to see, how, I wonder how Lydia is, I wonder how the slave girl is, I wonder how the jailer's going, I'm going to write him a letter, I want to encourage him, I want to spur them on. And so that's why uh, this book has a constant theme of joy through throughout it and why we're calling this series as we study through Philippians a joyful community. So week one, as we finish here this morning, uh, what we see in summary is a joyful community unites around the power of the gospel. Like the Philippian church united around the power of the gospel through Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer. We too, as C3 Coffs Harbor, we unite around the power of the gospel, Jesus at work in us and through us, that not only gives us perspective on why the church is what it is today, but also gives us hope for those we're believing for God to touch and impact in the future. That he's done it before, he's doing it now, and God will do it again, meeting people where they are at with the power of the gospel to advance the kingdom and build and outwork God's plan for redeeming humanity all across this planet. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message today. Lord, I thank you that you would move powerfully through each and every one of us, reminding us of the power of the gospel at work in us, that you met us where we were at. We didn't have to dust ourselves off or make ourselves perfect in order for you to accept us, that you already initiated your love towards us by sending Jesus on the cross. And so, Lord, I thank you that with our diverse backgrounds, our diverse levels of education and life experiences and stages of life here in this church, Lord God, that you have united us together in Christ Jesus. Lord, let us celebrate that. Let us not lose uh, the significance of that. But also let us take that as hope for those in our worlds. Lord, the, the people that we think might be too smart for the gospel, the people we might think be too down and out to, to, to come to faith, or the people that just seem to be indifferent and just hardworking people that have no real need for God. Lord, I pray that you would just give us the hope and the inspiration to be uh, ambassadors for Christ wherever we are, and that through our example, through our conversations, and through the power of God at work in us and through us, we can see our loved ones, our friends, and those we meet impacted and changed 
transformed by the power of the gospel that unites us. In Jesus' name, amen.